Okay, we're back with A Word with God. This is Carrie, and I've got Stan with me as usual. How you doing, Stan? I'm doing well, but I'd be doing a lot better if you brought me a coffee. I see you brought yourself a tea. That wasn't very kind. Yeah, you should wear your glasses because this is a coffee. There's is no tea bag hanging out. Oh, oh I just that's... saw the little the little thing around the cup, the protector thing. And you just thought only tea drinkers need the protection? Well, yeah. Yeah, I'm a sensitive guy when it comes to heat. I, it's too hot for me. When I was uh, in my uh, early years of being married, I was worked at a bakery, so I got desensitized to heat. Yeah, I've got, like, I'll have a meal, and everyone will be eating, and I'll wait another five minutes before I can even start. Uh, just everything about me can't handle heat. Oh, boy. Well, how's your week been going? Now, it's been a fun week. I mean, I told you about getting picked on by some kids at school, mm-hmm. but, you know, I thought I was done with that a long <laughs> okay. time ago, but it turns out kids are ruthless. So teachers get picked on? Yeah. They, they, some of these little kids, they, they don't care. They, no. I, I can't actually, I don't know if that's something that's changed or not. I can't, well, I was a shy kid, but I can't imagine ever picking on a teacher okay. when I was a kid, but like, they just like to have fun. They're teasing mm-hmm. me and yeah. stuff. What about you? How's your week been? It's a good week, a busy week, lots of things on the go, but that's kind of a normal week for, for me. Yeah. Um, I saw well, my first robin this week. So that means spring is here. Yeah. Is that a good thing for you? Yeah, I like spring. I guess, again, your other businesses with the plowing and the uh, what lawn care and all yeah. that, it's like you just go from one into the next. Yeah, you get about two to three weeks in between where not much is happening, but uh, that's about it. Okay, so what I was thinking that we'd talk about today, and I'd text you, so this time hopefully a little more prepared and not as off the cuff, I won't catch you <laughs> okay. any, any surprises, was what it's like to go into ministry and your expectations and the things that were going through your mind, where where you expected ministry to go, all that stuff that, you know, happened in the, maybe during Bible college and then leading up into your position as senior pastor or senior elder, whatever we're calling our church, I can never remember. And then, you know, lead elder, lead elder. And then you've been here for however many years, it's 15, 15 years of Full time ministry, right? Plus whatever you did before that, right? And another just, eight years, nine yeah. years. Yeah. So, you know, what what's the difference between the way you look at ministry now and I? Maybe is it the realities of yeah. what re- ministry really is, or what your ministry has turned into yeah. versus what you thought it would be going in? Well, when I was in Bible college, I I had always. Um, I thought that someday I would go into ministry. It wasn't necessarily something I was going to do right away, uh, though that would be a possibility. But by the time I finished Bible college, I was pretty burned out. I uh, did about three part-time jobs, and at that point we had— when I started, we had two children, um, then three, and then— uh, my fourth came just as I was finishing up, and by the time I finished, I was pretty uh, burned out. And um, I have a lot of stamina, but um, working three jobs and going to school and uh, 
being a dad and being a husband was very, um, it, it just took a lot out of me. And so there was, there was um, at the very end of my time uh, in Bible college, I was working for a, an appliance repair place. And uh, I had taken that on as far as repairing appliances and all kinds of different uh, household items. And when I finished, I just, I really just, I was so burned out, I couldn't imagine being in ministry. And I'm looking back at it, I'm really glad I didn't. I think I could have really um, either hurt myself or been really uh, not helpful to a church. So you just said something there yeah. that is to- totally different than the normal uh, Bible college experience, I think. And that, you know, I went to Bible college, EBC, shout out. But uh, we uh, we got taught there that, you know, you will experience burnout. I think it's pretty much a guaranteed thing uh, if you're in, like, imagine most jobs have it or every job might have it. But, de- like, yeah. definitely in ministry. Mm-hmm. And but they don't, they made no mention of being burned out by the time you graduate. <laughs> like did did you talk to anyone about yeah. that was there any did you get no. support or something because no. that's just that's no. not did uh, not to exist <laughs> did not exist was not talked about um certainly there's lots of questions at the end oh are you you know looking for a church are you going to do this are you going to do that and and i was just at, not at a great place at the end of my bible college experience i would say a bit disillusioned as well um, I was a bit older. Um, well, I mean, not, not for today, I guess. Like I was 20, must have been 24-ish, 23, 24, somewhere in there. And uh, by that point, I'd been married. Uh, I was married at 20. We had our first child when I was 21. And uh, so, you know, I think of a lot of 20-year-olds today, 21-year-olds today, and having family and being married and I mean you guys are putting that off down the road about another 10 years and so um, when you normally would go to Bible college like right out of high school or maybe one year off um, you have a lot less on your plate and so I can see going and doing that with Um, you know, working summers and going to Bible college, I can see a whole different outcome than than trying to earn an income for a family. And uh, and, and I think I left Bible college with less than $10,000 worth of debt. I think it was around seven or 8,000. That's unheard of. Yeah. (laughs) Nowadays. But that came at a real, a, a real cost. And so for the next 10 years, I really didn't even contemplate uh, ministry. I mean, I was doing ministry in the church that we raised our kids in. I was uh, kind of led a men's prayer group. I was a guy who was sent after the men in our church that were kind of wandering away. Uh, I led a lot of ministry in the church, so I probably worked 70 hours a week in my business and worked another 15 hours, maybe 20 at the most, but more around 15 at the church. So was it more that 
the beginning when you started Bible college where you were in the kind of dreamer state of what things might look like? <laughs> or were you never sure really even what you were going for? No, I wasn't I wasn't sure at that point. I was um sure that I wanted to be in ministry at some point. Along the way, I kind of fell in love with business, too. I enjoyed, I mean, I've had a business since I was around 15. And uh, so that was in high school. I had little businesses and things that I would build. And uh, so I, I was never sure exactly what it was going to look like. And it was not until I was in my late 30s that I really got this sense of call, what I would say calling and leaving business and moving into ministry. And that was a God thing. Like he orchestrated that. He, um, he brought circumstances, changed my heart in the whole matter. Because in my head, by that point, by my mid-30s, I was thinking of ministry as something I would do in retirement not something I would do in the present. We had a, a business that was growing and multiplying, and in some years we were doubling year over year. So um, that was not really on my, on my mind. Um, but um, I think that I found healing along the way. There, there was also a lot of family stuff going on. Uh, by that point, I had uh, two teenagers, um, those were not easy years for us. Um, we had two very easy children to raise and two, I'd say, a little more difficult. And uh, that was just that was just through circumstance. It wasn't their fault. It was circumstances of life really, um, really put some obstacles in there. And so it made those transitions very difficult. So by the time I got to be 38, which is when I began to this transition, I was ready for a change. I was actually wanted to wanted to pursue ministry and felt not ready, ready, but certainly much more ready than I did when I was 27. Mm-hmm. And if you were at the, if we went back in time to that point and if you think about what your ideas for what this would end up looking like, like if you, hmm. at that point, if you had asked yourself in 15 or 20 years, mm-hmm. what's this ministry going to look like? <laughs> what do you think you would, or what did you think back then? Yeah. I've always thought that growing things grow, you know, what? healthy things grow. Like if we expect our children to grow. We expect, uh, our plants in a garden to grow. I come from a farming background. I mean, we don't put seed in the ground and go, well, uh, we didn't get any crop. That's exactly what I expected. So that's, you know, that's certainly uh, part of the expectation is growth. And I think on different levels, I think um, not just numerically, but in relationship and, and, and discipleship, the idea of growing closer to the image of Jesus and so, I, and a lot of my friends, because I had that 10-year hiatus, a lot of my friends in Bible college were in church, so they'd been in churches 10 years already. Uh, one of them had started with 30 people, and by the time I started ministry, they were looking at, I think, around 3,000 in their church. 
Um, another guy who, who was starting as I was finishing, he had started another church. They again started with 30, and they were around four or 500 at that point. So my paradigm that I was working out of, I expected, I, I expected growth. You do the, do the right things. You know, Matthew 28, worship, um, teach, spread the good news of what Jesus has done in your life. Um, his promise to, to be with us always, even to the end of the age. Um, I really expected, and what I had seen in my friends' churches, that there'd be this explosive growth of ministry, and, uh, and that was not necessarily to be the, pl- the, the case. What I'm rem- uh, reminded of right now was when I was at EBC, Dr. Roy showed us uh, John Maxwell leadership clips yeah and one of them was called the law of the lid and i think it's remember because he was kept smacking his hands a bunch to show you know <laughs> people going up and they get stopped at yeah. leader and mm-hmm. so maybe this is a bit you know more self-reflection than you were planning on but i just thought of this like how do you work and differentiate and examine and whatever else you need to do to to think wh- what are the ways that I I am the way the thing that might be mm-hmm. blocking potential growth yeah. and what aren't that's something that I haven't fully had to deal with yet mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I remember some good conversations with Derek Mueller Derek was a uh, president of EBC for a while, went on to write a book called The Amorous Way. Mm-hmm. And Derek does a lot of training in police services and other government agencies, different cities, city hall organizations. And uh, it talks about the different kinds of people that are in an organization. So you have an entrepreneur, guy with lots of ideas. You have a refiner. They're the ones that say, well, that won't work because of X. Like they're, they've got the magnifying glasses on. You have the um, early adapters who, you know, they, they're kind of the cheerleaders of, of what's going down. You have the managers. They're the ones that kind of organize and make the trains run on time. And then uh, he talks, especially in the church, we see, uh, we see these protectors. They're the ones who make sure that everybody – is healthy and okay and not overworked. And then he talks about the, there's a person in the middle. So if you picture those in a circle, in the middle of that circle is called a utility person. They have so many gifts that they can flip in and out of almost every one of those roles. Now, I'm. Uh, we did our church. We took it through um, one of those training sessions with Derek and and, and I bang like eight out of eight entrepreneur. Um, I do have other skills, so I can be a utility person, but left to my, my druthers, I'd rather uh, be creating, coming up with new ideas, launching projects. I am a terrible manager. There's no fun in managing. Uh, there's no excitement in managing for me. I mean, there's other people that that's their boat. They love it. They love, uh, I'm, I'm not really a refiner. I've learned to appreciate the refiners. And that was, it was through one of Derek, that Derek session that I, 
I came to realize, I come to realize that refiners are actually your friends. They are the ones who are going to point out if there's going to be a problem, if there's going to be a sticking point, they're actually helpful to the entrepreneur and they're very helpful to the managers. Uh, You just have to learn not to give them a lot of control in the organization or the organization will stall out. Yeah. How do you how do you do that or again differentiate a refiner versus I mean I've even heard these I think people that are similar to that called like wolves in sheep's clothing <laughs> and all sorts of horrible yeah, things because yeah. the pastor the uh, leadership and this isn't just a church thing a ministry thing either but it's like you've got the way that you want things to go and then you've got mm-hmm. other people coming well this is how things should be you got to take that yeah. it seems with humility at times because it's not they're not always wrong no. there's some things that you and i uh we probably are close to on the same page that if you have some people coming in uh to the church saying you need to do only hymns you and i are like <laughs> why yeah why? right that it doesn't uh-huh. it's not one of our things yeah and to us we say like if you're gonna cause dissent and gonna try and split the church or a group of people and friends over this well then i see like the wolves and sheep's clothing thing kind of fits but when there doesn't seem or it seems like it would be hard at times to tell the difference between that and the intent and motivation carrying Mm -hmm. so the person the the wolf in it, which which I it's it's I think it's an unfortunate parallel you've made there. Yeah. Um, the wolf's intent is what Jesus said to kill and destroy, right? So the refiners in the church want the church to succeed and they want the church to be healthy. They can see what the entrepreneurs don't see because okay, I'm entrepreneur, put my entrepreneur hat on, yep. and we're talking about launching a business. Uh, selling widgets, and and I think widgets are great, and they're going to f- fulfill everybody. Everybody on the block's going to need a widget. Not only going to want a widget, they're going to need a widget. And and but and the refiner is going to go like, but can you produce enough widgets? <laughs> like how how are how are you going to do quality control of the widgets? Are we going to mail order them out? Are we going? They're asking all these questions, and the and the entrepreneur will go. Don't worry about that. That will that'll work itself out as we do. We just we're going to design the widget. We're gonna we're gonna get this together, and we'll work those problems out as we go along. So the entrepreneur is a politician, basically. In some ways, <laughs> problem is the entrepreneur is not around when those things begin. He's on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. He's building the next. Ministry. He's building the next business. Uh, I, have, I have an uncle that at one point owned over in his conglomerate owned over three hundred businesses, and and he didn't manage them. He had managers manage them, um, but he was he loved creating. He loved making something out of nothing. And I'll and I'll tell you that's exactly where that's what strikes my bell. I love uh, startup. I love the seeing an idea come together. People get excited about it, um, and and I would be bored to tears managing it. Well, that's what's sort of exciting. With I think with what we're doing now at the church and trying to 
scrap a bunch of things that we've been doing previously mm-hmm. and think of new ways to do things and we're just throwing things at the wall and seeing what yeah. sticks and we had, had talked about this you and I earlier that go like starting a new church is more exciting than it than continuing on in the ministry that you've been doing this whole time and that's nothing against Mm -hmm. the people in the church Mm -hmm. but the beginning is when you're able to dream freely and you have all these hopes and you can see like oh i could see this going here i could see Mm -hmm. this going there um maybe we'd end up uh renting out a stadium at some you know just absolutely huge dreams Mm -hmm. that you can the there's so much potential you can see. Whereas after years of things become just naturally monotonous, that you're doing the same thing week in, week out. I call it slaying the same dragon over and over again. Okay. And and the you know you maybe have maybe there's five of those dragons, and every two or three years, one of them are going to pop their heads up. And, and you've got to kind of redo the, the whole thing. So here's something in business that you'll catch out of John Maxwell. I think he calls it the law, and when he referred to the law of the lid, that in business, you yourself, many, many, many times, it's the entrepreneur, it's the startup guy who creates the lid in the organization because he, he or she will not hand over things in the organization to other people. There's something in our brains. If you're wired as, as the startup guy that says nobody else will care for this as much as you do. Nobody will work as hard at this as, as you will. No one understands. It's, it's like having a baby. No parent believes any other parent can do a better job than they can with their child. And so what happens is, and this is what hap- has happened a couple of times in our church, is that we don't have managers because I'm not very receptive to me. It's my problem because I want to keep working with the people. It's my problem because I want to keep my finger on things because I see other people, you know, we have, you'll put a ministry into somebody's hand and they don't show up. You put a ministry into somebody's hand or they're not prepared. You put a ministry into somebody's hand and they forgot to do the thing that had to be done. And for entrepreneurs, that feeds into the lie that only you can do what needs to be done, that only you can care for this thing. Um, And what happens is that sets a natural ceiling where things will never go beyond a certain point because you don't build the team. You don't build the managers, you don't build the refiners, and you don't build the protectors, and the, and the early adapters um, get frustrated that you're always recreating things. In fact, I've known guys, pastors and businessmen, that will blow their business up or blow their church up in order to recreate it to get that rush again of starting from nothing or starting from impossible odds. That only God can, you know, and we we coach it in religious terms, that only God can do that. Well, I've seen a lot of ministries that are not built on God. They're built on a business plan, and they're built on on earthly wisdom, and we think that it's God wisdom, but in the end, it all falls 
part. Yeah, that's another thing we we've spoken about before is the like if you if we went out you and I and we said we're going to go start a new church tomorrow and we do whatever advertising that we need to do to get the message out there by a good worship guy. Yeah. The the some guy or girl whoever that is was a big mega church pastor and has fallen from grace if they go out despite the scandal that they were caught up in and start up a new church mm-hmm. what 99% of the time they're going to be more on the outside looking in successful than yeah. you and I would be because yeah. of the nature of celebrity and I mean, they don't even have to do their own advertising necessarily. It's like, oh, this person's starting up a new church. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's gossip, you know? People yeah. want to hear about it. And so a whole bunch of people will show up just like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't even remember where I was going with that. <laughs> well, it's... Early, early on, um, that's how I saw things is that you, you know, you do it under the guise of this is the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's re- where I was going. Yeah, in reality, it is, um, it's, it's, here's, here's how I've kind of looked at it. It's like we make these plans and then we bring them to God and we lay them at his feet and say, please bless my plans. Mm-hmm. In the reality, we're supposed to be going to him and hearing from him and following his direction and his leading. And Easier I said than done. Yeah, and I don't find that that hardly is ever the case. Well, how do you examine what's going on in your head, your heart, your spirit, whatever term you want to mm-hmm. use? You, you feel strongly about something. Mm-hmm. And to say that came from God or that's me and yeah. what I want. Yeah. Uh, if you listen to Newhoff and Rochelle and some of these others, they talk about a thing called emotional intelligence. And that's where a person understands what's going on uh, if it was a car under the hood. You look at this car, it looks amazing. But, I mean, it could be, is there a four-cylinder underneath the hood? Is there a six-cylinder under the hood? I mean, if it's old enough, is there an eight-cylinder under the hood? And um, for us to look in our hearts and really know ourselves, which is a very clear biblical teaching, we're to know that our hearts don't beat like God's heart. We're to know that our ways tend to fall very short of God's ways. We're told the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And yet, I would say in Bible colleges, in churches, in, in our own homes, we do not teach and we have not trained our children to examine themselves. Where does God talk about this examination? In quietness, planting ourselves in God's Word. We are so busy and so redlining 
to keep the car analogy going, that we have no time and it's so noisy that we couldn't even hear if there was a problem in our internal engine. We just bought a car the other day, other day and, and um, it was something that was just kind of weird. I didn't, I could just hear this faint little noise. So I we popped the hood and, and uh, I happened to have a tire iron with me in my other car. So I put, and if you put it to your ear with your thumb in your ear and you put the metal piece on different parts of the engine, you can hear what is going on. And, and I located the noise. There was a bearing that was just starting to go in the alternator. Now, in order to do that, I had to have that press right, even though the engine was running, I'd had to, I had to have enough quiet that the thumb pushed in my ear, I could actually hear the thing. Unless, until I focused on it, until I used that connection, I could not tell where in the engine there was a, just the faint possibility that there might be a problem. And that's the same with our hearts. That is the same with our, our relationship with Jesus is that if we do not slow down, I mean, if you look at Scripture, and Jesus came apart, Jesus came apart, Jesus came apart. Doesn't mean he was falling apart, but he came apart from the world, he came apart from the noise, he came apart from the people, and spent time with his heavenly Father. And if that's how the creator of the universe stayed in tune with his heavenly Father, as he was walked in the flesh here on the earth, then how much more so do you and I need to do that? And so I would say for the first 10 or more years of ministry, um, I didn't have that piece. How did you acquire that? Desperation. And what does desperation look like? Everything I do in my own strength is not working out. Every hope and plan is is interesting because Maxwell and some others that I have heard heard some really, in fact, I heard it from one pastor who has had one of those uh, disgraceful seasons in life. Uh, and, and he talked about um, that, I oh, know, I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew right where I was going. Whatever. What's the question we again? Each, we each get one today. Okay. I was saying, what does uh, desperation oh, look like? Yeah, yeah. It talk about that until desperation is there, then we really never listen or turn in, tune in to God. That's when we finally silent, find silence and we, we turn to him. Because all the things that I was doing, all the things that I thought should be helpful, even though they may have been in some situations or in another, they weren't what God had for us. They, they weren't what God had at that point in time, they were me trying to figure it out on my own and trying to do things in order to get a response, thinking thinking that was how God worked, and it's not how God works. Do you think we don't ask why enough? That's what was coming to me right there, is mm-hmm. when we have these dreams, ideas, things that we're trying to accomplish, we don't ask ourselves why, and we don't necessarily have people in our lives saying why. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you can continually ask that question. Like, 
like right now I could say, why are we doing this sort of ministry overhaul idea? And you would give mm-hmm. me an answer. Mm-hmm. And then I could again say, why at the end of that? Mm-hmm. And then you'd give me more answer, uh, more of an answer. And then yeah. I could say, why again? Yeah. And where you kind of, where you end up at the end of that questioning mm-hmm. period might reveal things mm-hmm. that never would have come to mind otherwise about what is your motivation uh there's that idiom the heart wants what it wants right. that and i think a lot of idioms we don't they're things we say mm-hmm. without really thinking anything of them so i don't think it's necessarily a dangerous thing but the idea behind that mm-hmm. it, it's almost like uh just who cares? Like, who cares? Doesn't matter. The heart wants what it wants. Uh, nothing I can do about it, without any examination. Yeah. But what direction does that why go normally? It's directed to God. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing this? Why didn't you do that? Why? 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 Right. God never answers the why questions when we're asking Him. Mm-hmm. But He points it back inward and, and where we should be asking the why is of ourselves. I think you got that that down well. I mean like why do I want to why do we want to revamp? Why do we want the church to grow? Why you just keep drilling down on that and then we come to the how. Once you answer the why, but where do we start first? Many times we start at the how. Well, we're gonna we're gonna do a different kind of Sunday morning service, and we're gonna do this, and we're gonna do that, and we start with the hows before we even tackle the why. And and then you have to answer the so what questions. So you know we've been we've been doing this in the church, and I'm, in fact we're getting together in a, in a, about two weeks as elders. And, and hopefully we can drill down on a number of these things of, you know, what we have the idea, what should the church look like? Well, if you go to the church in North America and you look at the church in Africa and you look at the church in the Middle East and you look at the church in China, they are radically different, mm-hmm. different focused, how they do things is differently. Their growth, I mean, we look in the in the East right now, and the and growth is exponential. We look in Africa. Africa is the one who's sending out the missionaries now. Right. So we have these ideas, and so we watch whether it's TV or we go to conferences, and we get an idea. So the church in North America to be successful, and I kind of put quotes around that because – we begin defining success instead of God defining success, which is asking those questions. Mm-hmm. Why do? Why should I do that? Like, what is it, God, that you want to see in your church? He's been very clear in that. Matthew 28 tells us what the church should look like. Paul then begins to write. He fills in the blanks. He tells us what church services, not what they should look like, but what they shouldn't be. If you look in the Bible, it never says this is what a church, in a church, church service should have six songs, two prayers, uh, a 40-minute message, a 10-minute question and answer. Like there's nothing in Scripture that says what is the content look like when the body comes together. It's, it is emphatic that the body needs to come together. It's emphatic that that we are to be there to minister to one another. 
It's emphatic who we're to worship when we come together. It's emphatic about what should happen. Well, there should be teaching taking place. There should be discipleship taking place. But it de- never defines exactly how, and so which is genius on God's part, duh. I mean, because if it's any scenario and any background and any history that, like, wherever, whatever's going on in the church, or sorry, in the world, the church can be adapted to fit, and God does adapt, and he makes the church, he gives the church the opportunity to be powerful in those situations. I want to take this back a bit, okay. and because I want to ask that why question. I thought it'd be interesting since you know we've got this we're being recorded right now and just to have a copy that we can even look back later at we uh you've announced that you've you're stopping the word with god radio program right and so now the word with god is this podcast correct why why as we begin praying and seeking god out um I remember a definite time when I was told to start it, when I really believe in my heart that God wanted us to do Word with God radio. Mm-hmm. And then the same with a daily prayer book. Mm-hmm. And our elders wrote and I wrote, and those were, those were great days. But what I believe is that I ignored very clear signs it was time to stop and pull it in. Some things began to happen, just natural things that if I had been in a different place, more where I am today, I would I would probably stop the radio about four years ago. And, and it became apparent to me that things were changing in our worlds. So I got to know you as so I got to know a lot of younger people. I mean, Four years, five years ago, if you'd have said to me that no one will use email under 40, I would have thought you were crazy. <laughs> and, and and now no one under 40 uses email. We, well, they, we do, but not as like our standard mode of communication. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's, you know, things have changed. Um. I think the reason God is taking us there, if I were to kind of dissect, is that more, call it more bang for your buck or whatever, but I look at the time we've got to invest mm-hmm. and the amount it takes to do radio programming and invest. I mean, there's a huge investment in um, recording, uh, mastering, and then radio airtime. And in looking at that, it seems where the church is right now, or our church is, there's not a lot of extra funds, and yet God has put you into this mix. You have a desire for this. God has, I've watched some friends of mine go through the exact same thing, and I'm going, um, am I missing something here? And as I saw it, God, I, I really believe in my heart that that the time for the radio broadcasting was done and that there was a new thing and a new opportunity that God wanted us to walk down. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the one thing that's amazing about what we're doing now versus what you were doing with the radio program, 
is this is so much there's so much more freedom here mm-hmm. you uh for anyone who doesn't know with the radio program it, you were taking the sermon that you had preached on a sunday right. splitting it in two and so that you had two different programs from one sermon mm-hmm. and then recording a little intro a little i think mid discussion at the end and yeah yeah and so you're stuck basically though in you, the things that you're going to say revolve around the, that sermon right and you're not you're you're not want going to going to want to go off on a tangent that you feel is important or that you do want to talk about because you, you know you've only got this many minutes whereas here we've got basically all the time in the world mm-hmm. that we can i mean right now we weren't planning on talking about what we're talking about right now but right. it allows us to do so yeah and so you've got that freedom now mm-hmm. and i mean i've helped record some of those shows too and i'm thinking we would take 2 hours probably to do a couple minute to 3 minute i think mm-hmm. bits right that would go in between parts of the sermon and let alone the sermon itself how long that took to prep Mm-hmm. and to deliver mm-hmm. and you know here we can sit down for an hour and get an hour of content and, and tell you what's what's really behind some of this is what what god's been working in my heart um is the point of the message and is the point of sunday morning and coming together that we would have more content so radio is content driven sunday morning is content driven um, if we're looking at changed lives, I don't see that more content changes people's lives. Now, certain thing in the content might begin a movement of a changed life. But speaking to the heart, I mean, look at Jesus' messages. They're, they're really kind of, they're like one nail on a hammer. And, and you get them back to back, how the, how the gospel writers, you know, put them together. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost, you know, son. I mean, like, lost things. So there's kind of like, there's, there's these, these groupings of where, where Jesus goes to the heart. He does it in story format, but he doesn't give you seven things to take home and work on. It, it's like the God of the universe understands that, I have a hard time bringing three things home from the grocery store because I forget. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if I if I was honest in content-driven messages, by the next week I could only probably remember one or two points out of them myself. Right. And I'm the one that spent like 20 hours on it and preached it and and basically memorized what I was where I was going in it, and I couldn't hold on to all the content. It turns into like exam cramming. Yeah. Where you get everything in so you can blurt it all out on that piece of paper for the three hours you have to write it, and then it's gone the next day. But that's what we were trained to do. I mean, exegete the pa- – now, I still exegete the passage. I still work in it in, in its original language where, where I can. I still but, – but now I'm looking for the big idea. Like, what's the point? Well, yeah – or what Andy he, Stanley calls the so what. I hope this doesn't 
isn't a trick question and that I don't embarrass you live here. Oh. But uh, what is, I would assume, the greatest sermon ever delivered? I personal, I think that's a personal thing, and oh. I would, and I would say the greatest sermon ever delivered, from my personal, because of my life and my background, and what I've lived through, is the prodigal son. Okay, so I see what you're saying, and I, uh, yeah, I get that, and I'm just thinking though for the actual the Sermon on the Mount, yeah, Jesus main mm-hmm. sort of sermon if yeah. if you had to point what was the sermon Jesus preached that's the one everyone knows uh, yeah. or knows of it's, yeah. and if you got you get up in church and preach that same sermon mm-hmm. how long would that take 5 to 10 minutes yeah to just go through that yeah and that would be it would seem ridiculous yeah right yeah and meanwhile like this is the the, the, basically, the words from God, yeah, and himself. Here's here's something maybe that'll help put it into perspective. Woodcarvers, when they look at a log, or stone carvers, when they look at a slab of granite, see the thing in the granite or in the log that they are carving and how they carve is they take away everything that's excess everything that's superfluous to the thing that they see in the marble or in the wood and so if you think of Michelangelo's David everything comes off that isn't David and what's left is David as a as a preacher of God's word, I've let I've I've come to this belief that it's learning to take away everything that is, and and please don't get me wrong here, all scripture is given by God, all scripture is profitable, but in the parable of the lost son. What is the most, if you strip away all the pieces of the story, what do you end up with? What's left? Like what's, what's, what is left when everything is carved away? The Father is always waiting for the return of the Son. Mm-hmm. Strip the whole story away. That's what you're left with. The son comes back and the father's arms are open wide. So if I'm preaching that now, I'm going to, I may line it up like this. What would stop, what, what can stop you from returning to God? That's how probably I would set up the message now. And then we would walk through the story and everything in the story, everything I do in the message will now point into what is the main thing that God is saying to his people out of this passage. Okay. That's yeah. harder to do than exegete and, and come up with seven points. I can come up with seven points in, 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 
and there's no sweat on my upper lip. And I can be done in 10 hours or maybe, I mean, the whole thing stopped to finish probably 15 hours now. I've mm-hmm. been doing it a long time. Mm-hmm. But to let a passage saturate my soul to the point where I find, because it's late in the game that you find the one thing. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, really, help, Andy Stanley helped me a lot reading some things from him and finding out, like, like why is it that, my messages connect with me, but not as much with other. I mean, there's certain kinds of people they connect with, but why aren't they memorable? Why aren't they changing lives? And somebody will say, you know, they listen to this and they go, "Oh man, I heard this," and, and and it used to happen. This used to happen with my daughter. We would have these conversations, and and about her life and the direction it was going in. She'd go out with my father, and have coffee with him. And he would let her talk forever, like Tim Hortons, maybe an hour. And she and she's a talker, like she just like. And my dad never said much. He's just like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. At the very end, my dad would go, "Well, darling, well, the question I've got is," and then he would just ask a question. She'd come home. And, I know what I need to do, Grandpa. Talk to you. I'm going like I told you that like six weeks ago. I told you exactly what Grandpa told you. Why is this new to you? And, and it's because he listened and he distilled it down to one thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that is is kind of the key. And that's where I'm thinking with, with what's really hitting my heart with the church is what do we need to strip away? What is extra? Where's the fat in what we do? And we're just busy to be busy. But how do we make the one, how do we bring it down to the thing that really brings change into people's lives? Well, I've been, well, you've been speaking ever since you brought up the David thing. I've been thinking about looking at this podcast as a stone mm-hmm. and trying to see as if we carve away at it and what I see as it ending up being. I'm having a hard time thinking, I mean, I've got lots of great, like, it'd be amazing to be wildly successful with this and have uh, amazing guests on all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that'd that be a pipe dream. Hmm. But, the I, like, my kind of realistic, I guess, bringing it back down to earth and just what I'm experiencing right now is, like, this is a learning opportunity like opportunity for me i'm spending time with you i'm getting to ask questions Mm -hmm. i'm getting to hear from someone who's been doing this and living life longer than i have and hearing their perspectives and i think you know some people in the church listen in from evangel they're they're probably learning some things too Mm -hmm. you know if all we have is just people from the church our own church Mm-hmm. tuning in 10 20 people i mean that's maybe an hour extra of theology of uh what god's doing in life mm-hmm. just talking about mm-hmm. god uh that they aren't getting otherwise they maybe would just be listening to the just regular radio mm-hmm. or something while they're driving mm-hmm. uh what are do you have any kind of ideas of where you see this going 
To me, this is an extension of what we do on Sundays when we do question and answer. And so why do you do question and answer? Well, one, it's, it's a matrix of do people understand what I'm saying? Are they getting the point? And are, are, they, are they thinking in the area of application, which is the so what? God uh, always has his arms open to accept me or for my return. Well, what's the so what? Well, one of the so what's is it doesn't matter where I find myself today. There, As long as I'm breathing in and out, there's a pathway back to him. There's the so what. So then, am I caught up in addictions? Do I, like so many people, want to clean my life up before I come to God? The so what there is, no, you don't have to clean your life up before you come to God. You come to him, with, and, and his arms are open wide for you, and he is ready to embrace you, and, and he will take care of the cleaning up of your life, and he will walk through that with you. It's running back to the Father. I mean, the guy didn't, I mean, the guy didn't have any of his problems fixed. He still had to go back to work, you know, next week, and as one guy points out, he probably had lost all the calluses on his hands. His hands are probably going to bleed again. He still had a brother who was a pain in the back. Like, who'd want to work with him? So none of his problems. But, but the father's arms are open, and he's received back in, and he is declared a son, and he's robed and, and rings on his finger, and a, there's a celebration that he's back. Bruises, broke. Who knows whether he had STDs from all of the thing that he was going through? Could have maybe he had AIDS? I don't know. But the father's arms were still out and wide, and they enveloped him, and he clothed him, and and here was his son. Here's the father's comment. Here's my son, in his right mind. Well, it doesn't get any better than that. So what we do here, hopefully, is an, is and we ask we ask those questions at the end. We, people ask questions, and they, and and that's where we tweak and refine, and really we work out the so what. What does this mean to me now? So here, as we talk about it here, I hope we as we share life and experience that that the so what or what comes from what does the word of God say to how do I live it out the the orth the theology to the praxis. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that is entering in all the time into our discussions here. And that to me would be awesome to have other people come and join us. We may not even agree with where they walk it out. Right. But that's part of being willing to hear and listen and share life together. You, I mean, I grew up in a, in a time where unless everybody agreed with you in everything, you had nothing to do with them. You would not, I remember being in Bible college, and the college at the time that I went to would not have uh, Francis Schaefer there because of some things that he disagreed with them on. So we, I never got to hear Francis Schaefer alive while he was, you know, while he was kicking and breathing because, well, we don't agree with him on everything. Well, so what? I mean, it's it's like your grandma says, like, eat the chicken, spit out the bones. <laughs> yeah, and 
maybe it's just me, but I'm seeing that we're going back to that in many ways. And you're talking about that in the church, and I'm seeing that everywhere now. And maybe it was a thing that was everywhere back then, too. I feel maybe this is also just me getting older and paying more attention to the world at large than I used to. Mm -hmm. But I just I'm seeing it over and over Uh, here. In politics, too. Yeah, here are the tenets that, like, just, yeah, politics, opinions, they've become a doctrine, and if you step outside of those Mm -hmm. lines of whatever group of people you're in, suddenly they don't want anything to do with you because you, it turns out, you, in their eyes, secretly held some view that Mm -hmm. they find problematic, and... I like I, we we talked about this you and I uh, the other day. Going finding a church to go, people go church shopping, and half the time it seems like when I talk to people, what they're looking for, and I mean what what I've heard from people is they're basically you know they don't say it, but they're looking for a place that's going to spit their own opinions back at them, mm-hmm. and I want to go somewhere where I hear the things that I already think told to me again and I can feel happy about hearing someone I guess in authority saying agreeing with me mm-hmm. and I just think what's the point of that I may as well stay home if I'm not going to learn anything new mm-hmm. I, I love Tom Wright has said if you have not changed your theology in in, in a, any major area over the last 10 years um, you are not engage in God because I mean we the opposite would be we believe that we have it all together all my theology is straight I have nothing to learn I have nothing to to seek from God therefore and and you'll find that people are much more comfortable with their theology set in concrete when I think I I think a number of ways first of all it's just it's water and I mean, I've got all kinds of ideas and thoughts, and then, and then it gets to be like Jello. Things kind of move around. I mean, I have things theologically. And I picture the shelf up in a room, and they're up on that shelf. They're kind of like Jello. Some of them are more like gummy bears. They hold their form, but they're still malleable. But there are very few things, and, and I could probably put them on less than two hands things that uh, today that I would die for, I would take a bullet for, mm-hmm. you know, and, and when I was in Bible college, when I was younger, in my like, mid-20s, there was probably 50 things I thought I should take a bullet for, Yeah, and uh, God's choosing, pursuing him in learning who he is and what does he want from me is a lifelong journey. And and sometimes it's not as black and white as I thought it would be. It's it, frustrating, actually, like being a younger person and seeing the thoughts and the things that I found important in the past that I realized weren't and aren't important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with what is it, with age comes wisdom. Of course, you can be wise at mm-hmm. any age, but like I'm lived it out myself, uh, becoming wiser as time goes on. 
And that's one of the ways that you see that worked mm-hmm. out in your life is realizing what type of things are truly mm-hmm. important. And it's so frustrating that despite knowing that and knowing where I was at when I was 20, when I was 15, when I was whatever age, um, it's so, oh, phone's going off. <laughs> uh, it's frustrating still to talk to someone who's younger and is thinking the exact same thoughts I had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can tell them, oh, I went through this exact same thing. I thought mm-hmm. the same things. It's not how it actually is. And mm-hmm. knowing, oh, someone had the same talk with me at one point when I was that age. And someone still has the same talk. You probably had many there's many things I'll talk, talk to you about and you probably yeah. roll your eyes thinking, oh, you'll learn one day. And that for whatever reason, there's these blocks that it just takes time to break mm-hmm. through until you can look back and realize, oh, wow, I, I totally yeah. had that wrong. Yeah. And it's so hard to step back yeah. from your own thoughts and opinions mm-hmm. and actually evaluate why you why you're so attached to them. So these things that we get into debates over Mm -hmm. and you you might hear an opposing point of view and you're, you got that knee jerk reaction to argue Mm -hmm. and well, why I get, I guess like, you know, there are those things that you're talking about. You take a bullet for, uh, you're just like, Nope, that is like, I don't budge there. But other times it's like, am I even open to learning? Yeah. And so often we aren't, and we don't even realize it. I remember in the 70s, in the circle of churches I grew up in, so that'd be our early married years, if you weren't, if you didn't believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, and that was it. I mean, you'd, you'd break fellowship over something like that. Today it's like, is Jesus the son of the living God? There's a nail. There's a bullet. Uh, is Jesus the only way to find peace with God? There's, there's the bullet. But in in the younger in my younger days, there was just so many things that that held that real estate, and it, and and they were not clear biblical things. They were preferences and choices, and. Um, and so you know that's that's you're right. It's a lifelong journey, and 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 I think you know you just kind of roll that back to the beginning of our conversation. Is um, I grew up thinking and experiencing that hard work and persevering was the most important thing in life. Our family message was, um, you only have one job? Well, what kind of person only has one job? Our family, In our family, you would have been better thought of if you were an adulterer than if you were lazy. Mm-hmm. And, and so for me, it was all about working for Jesus. It was all about sacrifice and 
how many, you know, putting in crazy hours in a week and, and do, I mean, going above and beyond whatever you, I mean, it, that is what it took to be a follower of Jesus. And that was so off point. Jesus wanted to know where my heart was. He wanted to know where, where was their submission? Where was I in, in learning to love? And where was I in, in, in being still and knowing that he was God? Mm-hmm. And so you asked me the differences, you know, in the beginning we talked about church and why we do what we do and what drives. And, and I would say that only in the last while have I come to a place of understanding that God doesn't love me based on my performance. He loves me for what's going on in my heart. And because he just chose to love me. And that's a message that's all over scripture. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at David. Look at all the airtime David gets. And yet, I mean, there's a guy that's called a man after God's own heart. And yet look at him with Bathsheba. Look at him in numbering the people. Look at him. And yet God's evaluation of him is so much more than his screw-ups. Mm-hmm. God looks at the heart of the matter. And he says, there's a man after my own heart. And I spent years trying to please God by what I did and that somehow the church that I was working in would be acceptable to him and that would grow and be this amazing thing. And that's not what God was asking me to do. I'd miss the point. Yeah, I I feel like there's a connection, though, with you're talking about hard work. And I, I do feel that if you work hard at something and you evaluate it properly, you'll find some measure of success. And Mm -hmm. what I was thinking of is you dropped me into a forest and I could work really hard at trying to get out of there, but I might be walking in circles, (laughs) right? And I think that a lot of times that's what people get stuck in and I imagine you've probably done this, you've had this in ministry too, where uh, you think, I'm putting in all the time and the effort, but maybe you're not going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Well, think of this in, the, in, in context of King Saul. What are, what are God's words to Saul? Is, is that I would rather have obedience than sacrifice. We sacrifice time and energy and all these things thinking that somehow God will love us. And, and, and God just wanted Saul to be obedient to what was in front of him. The things that he had given him, the commands and the directions. And in Saul's brain, it, was, it, was, it couldn't be that simple. It had to be, it had to be more. And you know, there's a lot of other things going on in Saul's life, but... But you boil it all down to is trusting God that he he would do what he said he would do. He would take care of the problems. He would take care of the enemies. And and there's Saul with sweat on his upper lip and his sword. And he's there doing the sacrifice and giving the, I mean, doing the things that only Samuel was supposed to do. 
because he, we, we got to get the show on the road. Don't you know the enemies around us? Don't you know that by tomorrow night we could be dead? And and I don't know where Samuel is. Like Samuel, maybe, maybe he got caught in Las Vegas or someplace, but I mean, he's not here. Somebody's got to do it. It makes perfect sense, it seems. It seems, but not in God's economy. Be still and know that I am God. In fact, what we talked about last week with Asa, I'm looking for someone with a heart, turn towards me and I will strengthen them. It's not that they're strong, he will strengthen them. But what's he looking for? He's looking for the heart. And I would say, as we kind of close this down, as we're kind of right at the end here, is that here's the main point today. Here's what I hope you take away from today is no matter where you are in life's journey and no matter what is blown up in your face, no matter what has fallen through or whether it's a marriage or whether it's your job or whether you've gone bankrupt or whether you've been out of church for so long that that the last thing you remember was a board on the wall with the hymns attached to it, which you're not going to find today. No matter what is going on, God's arms are open to you. He loves you. You can't work for that love. All you can do is accept it. Your churches that you go to may be really growing and hopping. Or it may be some small little thing that you think, is it even going to survive the winter? Be faithful. Do what God's called you to do. And he is the one that will cause that to thrive, whether it's the church or whether it's your heart, to thrive and survive. Father, this day we end, this broadcast we end, just putting ourselves into your hands and we trust you. For you are amazing. You do above and beyond. You you promise us great things and you over-deliver. Help us to find peace in your arms, forgiveness, purpose, direction, and great meaning as we follow you. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.